Today, Pastor Javen continues our Christmas series called King. Today, we'll look at the gift of frankincense that the wise men brought baby Jesus to see the significance behind that gift. So take a moment now and prepare your heart for today's service. Now, we did start last week a series, it's our a Christmas series for us, and we're looking at a passage of scripture that comes from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. It's a story of a group of men that we know of as the wise men or the magi, depending on which translation you read. And these guys traveled a very long way following a star, coming to find the birth of what they had been told was to be the king of the Jews. And so they travel this far away, they come and they find uh, Jesus somewhere as a toddler in his home with Mary and Joseph. And at their arrival, they bow down before him, they honor him, and they worship him, and they give him gifts. They give gifts to Mary, Joseph, and Jesus. Jesus. They give gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Last week, we looked at this gift of gold and what it signified, the significance of this gift. We said that gold was a gift of royalty. It was the gift that was meant for a king because that's what Jesus was. That's what Jesus is. So when these wise men came in and they bowed down at the feet of a toddler, they said to him, we recognize you as king and as king of the Jews. And we realize that you are a king of kings. And whereas most kings live their life sovereignly to themselves, accountable to no one, Jesus Christ was a king who lived his life with the full intention of purpose to give it up for others. All while honoring and submitted to his father, God, and to the will of his father. He was the perfect, genuine example of us, of what it means to live our life for others, honoring and submitted to our father. Today, we're going to look at the second gift that they brought, and that is the gift of frankincense. The gift of frankincense. Frankincense was a, an oil or a perfume. It was believed to carry with it many healing factors. Okay. Now, some of you essential oil people, you may have a little jar like this of frankincense, right? Now this is my wife's and she let me bring it today. She wanted to know if she wanted to bring the diffuser and let it burn in here. I said, I said, sure, whatever. But anyway, she did let me bring this, this little jar of frankincense. You know, they, they say that frankincense is considered, and let me, just to get it right, make sure I get it right, an antiseptic, an astringent, a carminative, a diuretic, a digestive, a sedative, a ure, ure, uterine. It has vulnerary therapeutic properties. I don't know what any of those things are. But there's people that do, and they say that frankincense carries that. Now, frankincense was a very practical but yet a very expensive gift that was believed to help heal sickness and heal wounds. Now, if you remember the words of the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 53, you know that the prophet Isaiah said that he would be bruised for our transgressions. He would be wounded for our iniquities and by the stripes on his back, we would be healed. Jesus Christ, he is our healing. It points to that. I mean, this is a gift that points. And it was saying, we believe the prophet that our healing is found. The healing for our souls and the healing for our bodies. 
We believe that in Christ, there's healing in the name of Jesus. And today I just want to take a moment and celebrate. She couldn't be here, but I believe that she's watching online right now with her husband at home, Janet, who we have been praying for the last couple of weeks, who had a tragic fall, was being treated in the hospital, didn't know what the outcome might be in two weeks time has gone through the test she needed to go through at the hospital, the rehab she needed to go through at the rehab center, and today is home with her husband. And we celebrate that today. We celebrate a miracle of God. We celebrate today that another young person in our house who was playing basketball in a game had a horrible, tragic fall. Apparently there's a video and I told mom, I don't want to see the video. But she told me when I watched that video, I know without a doubt the hand of God was on my baby for the fact that all he had was a severe concussion and a contusion to his lip. So we celebrate today that Logan is doing well and it wasn't anything more severe than what happened to him. We're continuing to believe. We know for healings in other people's bodies that are part of this house, Diane Ratliff. You may not know them, but we say these names so that you can call them up in prayer. Mr. Silla Cutler, who's also battling something right now. There's others in this house. I haven't been given permission to say, so I won't. But we know we're praying for them and their healing. Sometimes God does choose to heal in different ways. We, I encourage you today to be praying for Amanda Brazel, who lost her mom yesterday to a brain bleed. Her mom had been suffering from things a while back and God did heal in those moments and the extended time that they had together. But if you know Amanda, reach out to her, offer her love today and prayers. But the words that Amanda told me yesterday when I talked to her was, here's the thing though, I know that today she's not in pain because she's embraced the eternal healing of our heavenly father. And this is, this is our God. This is what we have in him. But even more so, frankincense was an oil that the priest and the high priest would use during times of sacrifice as they would burn an incense that rose to heaven, symbolizing the prayers of the people before God. It was an incense that was used, mixed with oil that the priest would use to cleanse themselves before they went in to do these sacrifices. So just as gold was representative of Christ as King, frankincense, yes, it represents Christ as a healer, but it also represents him ultimately as our high priest. He is our ultimate high priest. The priests were representatives of the people before God. They made sacrifices on behalf of the people for forgiveness, for forgiveness of sins. They offered up prayers for the people. They stood as intercessors, mediators for the people. Now, the author of Hebrews, he basically goes on a deep dive of what it meant for Jesus Christ to be the high priest. He's writing this letter to a body of Jews, people who grew up understanding and knowing the old covenant, the Old Testament, the way of the law. He's writing to them, explaining to them, Jesus Christ was the great high priest and the ultimate final sacrifice for our life and for our sins. So today, what I want us to do is just journey through this together and look at how the author of Hebrews describes Jesus Christ as the high priest. So jump with me to Hebrews chapter five. We're going to start at verse one and let's look at what the author writes and tells us about Jesus as a high priest. Hebrews chapter five, verse one, every high priest 
is a man chosen to represent other people in their dealings with God. This is what we were talking about. He presents their gifts to God and offers sacrifices for their sins. He is able to deal gently with ignorant and wayward people because he himself is subject to the same weaknesses. That's why he must offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as the sins of others. And no one can become a high priest simply because he wants such an honor. It was a very sacred position. He must be called by God for this work just as Aaron was. That's why Christ did not honor himself by assuming he would become high priest. No, he was chosen by God who said to him, you're my son. Today have become your father. Your calling is beginning today. And in another passage, God said to him, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. We're going to explain that more in just a moment. While Jesus was here on earth, he offered prayers and pleadings with a loud cry and tears. He's interceding to the one who would rescue and who could rescue him from death. And God heard his prayers because of his deep reverence for God. Remember that. And even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. And in this way, God qualified him as a high priest. And he became the source of eternal salvation for all those who obey him. And God designated him to be a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Now, here's what we know. The people needed a priest because the people were sinners. They were sinners. And they needed someone to stand between them and God. All of us are sinners. You know, we we talked about this several weeks ago. We don't like to admit that we are sinners. We don't like to say we've sinned. We don't like to call it sin. In fact, when it comes to sin in our life, what we would rather do, remember this, we said this, we'd rather deny it, hide it, uh, make excuses about it, blame others for it, play the victim in it, celebrate it, and normalize it. That's what we like to do with sin. That's what the culture, the world wants to do with sin. But we have to understand that's not what we're called to do. That's not what we're supposed to do. We are sinners. And here's the thing. We know we're sinners. We know that we are messed up people. And and, and this time of year points out more than any others that we know this. Because every time in this year, what do we do? We talk about how There's the big guy in the red suit and he's watching to see if we are what? Naughty or nice. And we know that we are probably falling into that naughty category more often than others. And now we've upped the game. He's upped his game because we've got these little elves sitting on shelves all over the place. And the whole purpose of these things is to go back and tell Santa who's been naughty. Little Johnny, he's messed up, Santa. But here's what I don't get about these elves. Is these elves are just as naughty as anybody else. Who's telling on them? That's what I want to know. I mean, they're making messes all over the place. Jenny showed me a picture of one last night that it just totally destroyed a kitchen in an oven with a disaster. And I'm thinking, you're trying to tell, we're trying to tell our kids, she's not supposed to be naughty and you being naughty. 
What sense does that make? But now as adults, you know, we grow up and what do we do? We celebrate because we buy shirts with big words on it. It says, naughty, right? I'm naughty. We just embrace it. We're, we know we're sinners. And here's the thing. It doesn't matter how nice we are. Without Christ and the acceptance of what he's done for us in our lives, we're still sinners. We are still in need of a savior. And here's what we've got to understand. The transcendent holiness of God to realize the severity of the sin of our life. God is a, a pure, faultless being. He is above all and over all. And he is, his holiness is not just one of his attributes. It is the perfection of all his attributes. And until we understand the holiness of God and how separate we are from him, we'll just continue to treat sin casually in our life. But we have to understand that we are separated not from Santa. We are separated from the creator and sovereign God of the universe because of our sin. And because of that, we need someone to stand in the place of us, between us and God for that sin. And that was Jesus Christ. That is who he was. He was the high priest who took that place. Every Jew knew that they desperately needed a mediator. And the author of Hebrews is telling them, Jesus was the perfect and final mediator. And we have to know God takes sin seriously. And we need to take sin seriously in our life. We cannot be reconciled to God without understanding what Jesus Christ has done for us. The gospel is not about if you've got a few problems, then try Jesus. The gospel is you're a sinner. I am a sinner and we need Jesus Christ. We were separated and are separated by our sin from God. But the good news is that Jesus made a way for us to be reconciled with the father and be in relationship with the God of this world because he is our high priest. Let's look at what he goes on to say. Let's jump over to Hebrews chapter eight, verse one. The author says, here's the main point. We have a high priest who sat down in the place of honor beside the throne of the majestic God in heaven. And there he ministers in the heavenly tabernacle, the true place of worship that was built by the Lord and not by human hands. Jump down to verse six. But now Jesus, our high priest, has been given a ministry that's far superior to the old priesthood. For he's one who mediates for for us a far better covenant with God based on better promises. If the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no need for a second covenant to replace it. But when God found fault with the people, he said, the day's coming, says the Lord, when I'll make a new covenant 
with the people of Israel and Judah. He's talking about what we read in, in this, in what we call the old Testament. That's the old covenant. That's what we see that old promise of God to the nation of Israel. The author of Hebrews is, is explaining what Jesus Christ set up. He set up a new covenant. Let's keep going. Let's jump over to chapter 10, verse one. He says the old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come, not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year, but they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. If they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped for the worshipers would have been purified once for all time and their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. But instead, those sacrifices actually reminded them of the of their sins year after year. Now jump to verse 11. Under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins. But our high priest, talking about Jesus, offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. Then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. There he waits until his enemies are humbled, made a footstool under his feet. For by that one offering, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. So we see here in Hebrews that the animal sacrifices, they only did so much. They could not make people perfectly forgiven. They wouldn't remove the consciousness of sin and fully take away our sins. In fact, the author of Hebrews tells us they were the constant reminder every time the sacrifice was done of just how bad of a people they were. Here we go again. There he goes. There's the priest. He's making more sacrifices. Why? Because we're really bad. And we sin a lot. It was constant reminders. See, prior to Jesus' death on the cross, God... Our father passed over the sins of the people. But because of Jesus Christ, now the father pardons the sins of the people. Prior to Jesus Christ, he would basically offer forgiveness of sins as credit. From one forgiveness to the next. But through Jesus Christ now, and because of what Jesus Christ did, the debt of our sin was completely paid in full. This was the difference in Jesus Christ as high priest, the perfect one. There's an account in Numbers chapter 16 that talks about the people under Moses and Aaron. And they began to, to talk and about Moses and talk about things and, 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 and they were defaming God and, and God becomes angry and his wrath begins to come out on the people. And we look at this and this is the type of passages that people read and they say, this God is such a vengeful God. He's such an angry God. But we neglect to realize that maybe there's consequences for things in life. And so what we see happen is Moses looks at Aaron and it says, quick, grab incense 
take out the scepter and run out there burning the incense and get in between the middle of the people and start mediating on their behalf. And Aaron, who was the priest, did this and ran out between the people. And we saw when this happened, the wrath of God stopped. And Numbers tells us that Aaron was standing there between the living and the dead. That's the words from Numbers. And what it was, was a foreshadowing of our great high priest, Jesus Christ. Who would take the moment to stand in the middle of all of humanity. And not just stop the wrath of God. But to take the complete wrath of God on himself for our sins. And he rose again and he stands victorious now. Between those alive in him and the death of sin. He's our high priest. This is what he has done for us. And in Matthew chapter 27, when Jesus was on the cross, Matthew writes these words, verse 15 and 51. Jesus shouted again and he released his spirit. Now the gospel of John tells us that when he released his spirit, he uttered those three famous words. It is finished. In other words, his purpose for coming was finished. The, 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 the reign of sin and death over people's lives, it's finished. The purpose for his first coming, it's finished. The old covenant, it's done, it's finished. And in verse 51 of Matthew 27, he says, and at that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two. From top to bottom, the earth shook and rocks split apart. What was happening here? The curtain that was in the temple is what separated the Holy of Holies and the, whole, and the Holy Place. That's where, it's where the, the high priest would go, was the only one that could go into the Holy of Holies to intercede on behalf of the people. And he had to do this very carefully. In fact, they would tie a rope on his ankle because if he would go in and die, no one else could go in and get him. They had to pull him out. But when Jesus died on that cross, that curtain was ripped and torn in two. And it said, from this day forward, the old covenant is done. A new covenant has been established. And now it's not just a high priest that has to enter in or to in, in place of people. There's one great high priest that has already entered in and mediates on behalf of all of mankind. And that is Jesus Christ. And he has opened up a door for anybody and everybody to enter into the presence of the creator God. And the author of Hebrews is trying to get these Jewish readers to understand and these Jewish listeners to understand that this priest has to come from a different order than what you understand. Every priest in Jewish culture came from the line of Levi. If you were not in the line of Levi, you could not be priest. And he's trying to get them to understand. You've got to realize this great high priest is going to have to come from a different order. And that's why he keeps telling them he's coming from the order of Melchizedek. Because this would be a priest that they would have known, they would have understood. And so let's look at chapter 7 real quick, a few verses from there. Chapter 7, verse 1, starting there. The author of Hebrews says, This Melchizedek, he was a king of the city of Salem, and also a priest of God Most High. Basically what he's doing in these verses is he is quoting Genesis chapter 14, verses 18 to 20. The story of what all Jews would know about a guy named Melchizedek, a king and high priest. 
in Abraham, Abram's encounter with this king before God ever established the covenant with Abraham and his promise to make him into a great nation, to bless all the world through Abraham. Abraham had this encounter with this priest, this king by the name of Melchizedek. And he says, when Abraham was returning home after winning a great battle against the kings, Melchizedek met him and blessed him. And then Abraham took a tenth of all he had captured in battle and he gave it to Melchizedek. He tithed him. The name of Melchizedek means king of justice or king of righteousness. And king of Salem means king of peace. There's no record of his father or mother or any of his ancestors, no beginning or end to his life. He remains a priest forever, resembling the son of God. In other words, he's saying, you recognize Melchizedek as this. There's no reason you shouldn't recognize Jesus Christ as this. Jump down to verse 11. He says, so if the priesthood of Levi on which the law was based, could have achieved the perfection God intended, why did God need to establish a different priesthood with a priest in the order of Melchizedek instead of the order of Levi and Aaron? And if the priesthood is changed, the law must also be changed to permit it. For the priest we are talking about belongs to a different tribe whose members have never served at the altar as priests. What I mean is our Lord came from the tribe of Judah. And Moses never mentioned priests coming from that tribe. This change has been made very clear since a different priest who is like Melchizedek has appeared. Jesus became a priest, not by meeting the physical requirement of belonging to the tribe of Levi, but by the power of a life that cannot be destroyed. And the psalmist, and here he's going to quote Psalm chapter 110, verse 4. What he's saying is the psalmist made a prophetic declaration thousands of years before about this king and about this priest. The psalmist pointed this out when he prophesied, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Then jump down to a few more verses, verse 23. There were many priests under the old system for death prevented them from remaining in office. But because Jesus lives forever, his priesthood lasts forever. Therefore, he's able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. He lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. He's the kind of high priest we need because he's holy and he's blameless, unstained by sin. He has been set apart from sinners like us and has been given the high place of honor in heaven. See, what we know of Melchizedek, of both Melchizedek and Christ, is they were both men. The author of Hebrews recognizes that he was a man that that Abraham honored. Jesus Christ was the son of man. He was man. He was God in flesh, but he was 100% man. We know that they were both kings and they were both priests. Melchizedek was a king of Salem. Jesus Christ is the king of kings. But they were both high priests. We know that they were both appointed directly by God. The Old Testament, all, all we know from it was that he, Melchizedek was a priest in the order of God, appointed by God. And the psalmist declared that there would be one that would come that would be a priest in that same order. And that is Jesus Christ. And both were called king of righteousness and king of peace. This is 
our high priest. This is our king. This is the man, Jesus Christ. The one who is our mediator between us and the father. The one who took our place and took the wrath of God. And now instead of God seeing our sin, when we come under Christ, believing and proclaiming him as Jesus and Lord of our life, we now have the righteousness of Christ on us. And that's what God sees. He extended his righteousness to us. He extended his peace to us. He is our high priest. He is our king of righteousness and peace. But not only that, he is a king who understands our weaknesses. He sympathizes with us. If you jump back in Hebrews chapter four, look at what he says real quick. Hebrews chapter four, verse 14. He says, so then, since we have a great high priest who's entered heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses. For he faced all the same testings we do, yet he didn't sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy. We'll find grace to help us when we need it most. He is a God who's approachable, but he's a God who understands our sin. John tells us in verse John, he he faced all the sin that we would face. The lust of flesh, the, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. We see in the gospels that Jesus was tempted by, by Satan. But he never sinned. He never fell into that. He never did things that we as man would do in our sin and in our flesh. And not only that, he didn't sin by using his power and his ability for himself. I read one commentator. I can't remember the name. They said that I didn't catch the name, but they said this. Jesus didn't demand his own will. He didn't call down legions of angels to rescue him. He didn't defend himself or threaten his accusers. He didn't save himself. He didn't come down from the cross. The fact that Jesus could have done those things intensified his agony and increased the temptation to use his power for his own advantage. But he didn't. And instead he used his power for our benefit. Jesus suffered temptation the same as we do, except he didn't sin. So he can sympathize with our weaknesses. Jesus is the answer to the hypocrite excuse. People will say, I don't want to have anything to do with Christianity. I don't have anything to do with church because the church and Christianity is full of a bunch of hypocrites. You're right. I'm not going to sit here and argue that and say you're wrong. There There are people who say one thing and do another. There's no doubt about it. But can you please explain to me and tell me anything else in this world that isn't? Everything is full of hypocrites. Then you might as well live in your house apart from everything in this world and be a part of nothing. Because you are not going to find anywhere that there's not a hypocrite. But that's the thing about Christianity, about our faith. Our Christianity does not depend on imperfect Christians. The validity of Christianity is not based on imperfect Christians. It is based on a perfect Christ. Who is without sin but who can sympathize with us in our sin. And not only that, he's approachable. He's opened up the throne room of God. We can approach him so we can come boldly into his presence and we can tell him our heart, express our needs to him. So so get into the presence of God and express yourself. But remember the words of Hebrews chapter five when it talked about Jesus who petitioned God with loud cries and tears and pleas. And it says that he was heard by God because of his what? Do you remember this? Because of his reverent submission. 
So yes, you can express everything that's in your heart, but understand he's God. There has to be a balance and there has to be reverent submission between you and him as you approach this high priest. He's your king and he's your high priest. He is the one that has made a way. He mediates for you. He has opened the door between you and the father. He has taken the wrath that we are supposed to receive for our sin. He's taken it upon himself. And we just have to accept it. And just like we should bring an offering of worship and praise that's worthy of a king, we should bring the same to Jesus who is our high priest. But not only that, our life should be one that offers up an incense of his presence in this world. As we close, I want to show you these few verses from 2 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul's words. He says, thank God he's made us his captives, continues to lead us along in Christ's triumphal procession. And now he uses us to spread the knowledge of Christ everywhere like a sweet perfume. And in verse 15, he says, our lives are a Christ-like fragrance rising up to God. But this fragrance is perceived differently by those who are being saved and by those who are perishing. To those who are perishing, we are a dreadful smell of death and doom. But to those who are being saved, we are a life-giving perfume. And who is adequate for such a task as this? Now, what Paul is referencing is he is referencing when Rome would defeat any other army and they would enter back into the city. They would have this triumphal procession. And while they were coming in, they would be burning this incense that would be to an incense to their gods. And while they were coming in and burning this incense, they would be traveling in with those celebrating in their army the victory, but also coming behind them those who were captive, those who were imprisoned, and now who were being taken captive by Rome. And to those around who were smelling this incense that was being burned up, This smell to those who were part of Rome was a smell of victory. But to those who had been defeated, it was a smell of death. Paul is writing his letter to the church of Corinth and he's saying, because of Christ and what Christ has done for us in our life, we march with him. We are are in this processional with him. And there's an incense burning from our lives and to God, this fragrance, it reminds him of Christ. It reminds him of what Christ has done for us in our life, but also this fragrance to others who are entering into this life of Christ. They, they realize the victory in the life you have in Christ from it, but to others, what they're sensing in you is also a call to die. And there's many that don't want to accept that call and that call to die to their self, to die to their will, to, the, to, to only focus on what they have to lose is not something they want to give up. But this is what our lives is to be. Because of our high priest, the one who made that final sacrifice and offered up that sacrifice for us in our place. Now we become that fragrance to God when we walk in him in our life. And our lives should be something that's noticed by others and others look at us and say, there's something different. 
and our life says to others, look, I know they're making a sacrifice for our own will and to our own will and our own desires and ourself. And that's a sacrifice that's tough and it's hard to understand that we have to surrender something about ourselves to someone else. But the sacrifice of our will is far better than the sacrifice of our soul. And if we don't sacrifice our will, then you can get all you want to right now. But eternally, you're just going to lose your soul. And when we make that sacrifice and surrender to Jesus Christ and die to the will of our flesh and the things we want to do and the desires we want to do, the sinful nature of our life, yeah, we don't become perfect. We understand that. But the author says we are being made holy. It's a progress. It's a walk. It's a journey. And as we're on this journey, as we're walking, we're beginning to realize more and more what we gain in return through Christ is far greater than everything we give up. So I just plead with you today, honor him. Honor him as king recognizing today is the high priest who made the final sacrifice for your life as a sinner to be able to be joined with the Father in relationship. Stand with me this morning. As we close this time together in worship, if we can just go back into that song, I, sur- this, I Surrender. I just encourage you today to make that your cry, to surrender. If you've never done that before, if you've never entered into a relationship with God the Father, proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. The Paul in Romans, he, he said to just simply believe that Jesus Christ is who he said he was, the Son of God that came to this earth for the forgiveness of our sins, everything we talked about today, that he was that. Believe he is who he said he was and then confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. So today, rather than denying that you're a sinner, rather than hiding it, rather than making excuses for it, rather than blaming others for it, rather than celebrating the fact that you live a life of sin, rather than making sin a normal part of your life, admit it and claim it and say, God, the sin that I'm living in, it's killing me. And today, I I accept who you are. I believe that you are the son of God. I want to give my life to you and follow you. Confess him as Lord of your life. Maybe that needs to be your surrender today. Maybe Maybe you've done that, but maybe you haven't surrendered completely to the Holy Spirit and allowing the Holy Spirit to move in your life the way that God wants the Holy Spirit to move in your life. Maybe that needs to be your surrender today. Maybe your prayer needs to be, this is my surrender. Whatever your surrender is today, as we close, I just encourage you in these last moments 
to make that surrender before your high priest and your king today. Father, we give this time to you. We thank you for your word. And in this moment, Father, we make our surrender to you in Jesus' name. If you need prayer in any way today, we would love for you to reach out to us. You can go to our website, bwccamden.com, go to our contact page. You'll find the link there to uh, request prayer or send us anything that you uh, would like to communicate with us today. Or you can also simply text the word prayer to 803-676-7566. And we will be back in touch with you to find out how we can be in prayer for you. God bless you. We hope that you have a great week.